Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today's special guest on Core Principles is the founder of Commonwealth Policy Foundation, Richard Nelson. How are you, Richard? I'm doing well, Clay. It's great to be on the program with you. When did you start uh, what was then Commonwealth Policy Center, now called the Commonwealth Policy Foundation? Sure. Uh, we began back in 2012, and we, we were born out of the desire to essentially bring biblical principles into the public arena. And this comes from the, the uh, what the founding fathers did when they put together this country, Clay, is they these were men of conviction that had biblical worldviews, and they put together a government founded on biblical principles, uh, informed by biblical principles. And we've gotten so far away from that uh, in, in the past uh, more than just decades, but for it's been a long time in the making where biblical principles have been rejected. Uh, we're more and more a secular nation, and we're seeing that a secular nation— does not provide what a uh, uh, Christian worldview-formed nation provides. And uh, so we're working essentially to bring biblical values back into our culture. What other objectives did you have for your organization when you founded it? The Commonwealth Policy Center started as a 501c4. Now, that's a, that's a ta- tax designation by the IRS that essentially means that you're nonprofit but you can be politically engaged. And by that, it means you can recruit candidates, you can train them, you can endorse them and help them to get elected. And our goal as an organization was to raise up and train leaders who had that biblical worldview, who uh, believed in the Constitution, who believed in limited government, and to, to get behind these candidates and to help them get elected primarily to the state legislature. So that was our goal back in uh, back in 2012, and by God's grace, we were able to achieve that goal in uh, in 2016. Is when we saw a huge change in Kentucky politics. That's when conservatives took the House for the first time in about 100 years. And uh, I'm glad to say, Clay, that we have a lot of friends and allies in Frankfurt right now, both in the state House and in the state Senate those who uh, are principled conservatives, constitutional conservatives, uh, many Bible-believing Christians there as well. But you also have 501c3. We've had the C3 uh, since we began. The C3 could uh, engage at a deeper level, and we saw the need to engage educationally. And so, so we had some resources to help, uh, you know, bring on a church outreach director and to bring on a content developer. So the 501c3 has really grown in the last uh, three or four years. We have a staff and uh, very talented people helping to communicate, uh, you know, what this country's about and, and the freedoms that we have and how we, how we can maintain these freedoms and also how the churches can be involved in an appropriate way. And those are functions of the uh, 501c3 Commonwealth Policy Foundation. What have you found to be some of your greatest challenges through these last eight years, Richard? Yeah, boy, very good question. I think one of the greatest challenges, uh, not just in the last eight years, but I've been involved with public policy here in Kentucky for going on 23 years. And I think one of the greatest challenges, Clay, is to help people to understand 
first of all, the great gift that we have in this country, the, um, the freedoms and the liberties that we enjoy are unfortunately taken for granted. And so I find myself as a, as a cheerleader, if you will, as an educator, hey, are you aware of what we have in this country? Do you know that it's a gift? Do you know that people in other uh, countries are dying, literally in some cases, to get here just to experience the, the freedoms that we have? So I find myself trying to um, help people to engage, to, to understand what we have, but then to help them to engage uh, and engage in the right way. So we fight apathy. You know, there's a lot of apathy out there. People don't care about what we have or they're afraid to get involved and to engage and uh, part of that is that they just don't want to step on toes or they think they might not make a difference. There's a lot of reasons for that. But bottom line is if we care about our freedoms, Clay, if we care about religious freedom, if we care about our freedom of speech that you and I are enjoying right now, look, we're having a conversation very openly. We're talking about government. Uh, we might even get critical of government. I don't know. I'm not sure where this conversation is going to go. But we have this freedom right now that is absolutely a gift uh, and it's not experienced in most places in the world and if we care about maintaining this gift we better be willing to protect it and to preserve it well i appreciate that and when i'm listening to you uh, explain those specific principles on your mind you sound very much like someone else i interviewed recently charlie kirk of turning point usa he's a lot younger than you and i are but uh, he's really got a lot of folks energized now, particularly on uh, college campuses and now even in high school. So we're cheering him on as well to try to let people know this country really is special and worth defending. What uh, have been some of your greatest successes that you've enjoyed? Yeah, good, good question. You know, like I said in the beginning, our goal was to raise up conservatives to serve in the legislature. That goal was achieved in 2016. That was a huge victory for us to see so many true conservatives. And when I say that, let me flesh that out a little bit. When I talk about a conservative, Clay, I'm talking about one who will who embraces our founding ideals, that, that life is the first of our rights, the, the, the right to life. And the second, the right to liberty. Those are two founding ideals that we want to see our leaders to embrace. And we've got many people in Frankfurt who really are fighting for those things to preserve the right to life, to preserve our religious freedom, to preserve our freedom of speech. Once this majority was put in place in Frankfurt in 2016, we saw a lot of good fruit come from that. We have seen, it was about 10 different pro-life bills enacted within about a four-year time period. So Kentucky has become arguably the most pro-life state in the nation because we've got these leaders in place that understand that the sanctity of human life is uh, so important to, to our survival. Religious freedom, working to preserve religious freedom. And religious freedom in the last uh, several years has been under attack. Clay, the way I define religious freedom, it's not just the ability to worship on a Sunday morning, but it is the ability to live out your faith in public, whether it's uh, in your workplace, whether you're a small business owner, you do have the right protected by your constitution to uh, live out your faith. We have seen two pro-religious freedom bills enacted uh, in the past uh, few years as well. So Kentucky has led uh, in, in that area. 
We've also seen, for a time, uh, more fiscal responsibility. You know, that, we believe that fiscal responsibility in government is important. And under the Bevan administration, uh, we did see serious fiscal reforms and, and some positive steps uh, in, in the direction of moving Kentucky into fiscally responsible direction. So that has changed with the new administration. Andy Bashir, of course, is now governor, and we're, we're seeing some change uh, in that front. But a number of good policy changes that we've seen in a short period of time, whether it's right, the right to life, the right to religious freedom, fiscal responsibility. And this can all be linked to the conservative leadership that we now have in our state legislature. That's a fascinating answer to me and encouraging as well. It opens doors for several areas of discussion. And one of them that I wanted to talk about is how the Commonwealth of Kentucky is somewhat of a political enigma. But uh, I want to bookmark two of the things that you highlighted there as we talk maybe a little later about current events uh, for 2020, because our current governor has done things related to both of the first two things you highlighted that shocked me. But as far as the Commonwealth being an enigma, we have often been run by members of the Democratic Party. However, in national elections, we are one of the reddest states in the country. Why do you suppose that is, Richard? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, the, uh, the, the move for Kentuckians to embrace Republicans at the national level started back in the uh, 1990s. Of course, Mitch McConnell was really the, uh, the one who, who broke the glass ceiling, if you will, for Republicans in the state uh, when he beat D. Huddleston. I believe that was back in the 80s. Uh, but other Republicans uh, came on board and, and followed behind him. And essentially, Clay, Republicans have done well at the national level because largely because Democrats at the national level have rejected conservative principles. So you're seeing Democrats uh, leave in Kentucky, leave the Democratic Party. They've embraced uh national Republican principles, and they voted that way for decades. Really, it's been probably 20 years, 15 to 20, about 20 years that we've had a strong Republican delegation to Congress. And we're finally seeing that change trickle down to the state level. It wasn't until just four years ago that uh, Republicans won the state house. Democrats had a stronghold on it for 100 years. It was about 20 years ago that Republicans won the Senate uh, at the state level. So we're seeing this trickle down from national politics to state politics. And right now, Clay, we're in the process of seeing local politics uh, sway sharply in the direction of Republicans. Some people might wonder why, why it's happened from the top down instead of the bottom up. And here's why. At an ideological level or at the level of principle, it's easier to make a decision for a, a race, for a political candidate, when you just have the facts, when you're just looking at principles. And so when Mitch McConnell got elected, I think it was 84 is when he first got in there, they looked at both candidates and where they stood in the issues. Most Kentuckians said, hey, I don't line up with the Democrats anymore. I line up with Mitch McConnell. So on a principle basis, they voted Republican. And then eventually it trickled down to the congressional races. Now it's at the state races. But at the local races, at the local level, Clay, what you have are people who are living in communities 
that went to school with the voters. They work with the voters. They are neighbors with the voters. People know these people who happen to still be registered Democrats. And that's one reason why there are still a large number of Democrats uh, holding office at the local level. But that is changing, as I said. Party registration is uh, shifting very dramatically in Kentucky. I saw some numbers recently for the whole state. The last, uh, I think from August the 15th to September the 15th, something like 11,000 new Republican registrations. Democrats were, I think, in the negative territory. That trend is happening in other states as well. I've noticed Florida has a similar trend. All right, let's talk a little bit about this crazy year and uh, some of the things that have happened here in Kentucky, mirroring some things that have happened nationwide. Uh, The Kentucky legislature granted the special emergency powers to the governor to respond to this outbreak of COVID-19. And Governor Andy Beshear declared a state of emergency on the 6th of March. It wasn't until the 17th of September, Richard, that the Kentucky Supreme Court finally listened to the arguments for limiting the duration of that emergency and the scope of the governor's powers in it. Was the Commonwealth Policy Foundation involved in trying to bring balance to the way our branches of government operate during this time? Well, we were very involved with engaging this issue of pandemic and religious freedom in particular, had our ear to the ground, processing the executive orders, processing where we are, and then engaging through commentary, opinion pieces. I actually reached out to the governor's office a number of times on a personal level to offer our assistance. Uh, Clay, early on in this, let's take a step back as to what we knew back in March. Uh, Health experts told us that this was a serious virus that uh, we could expect possibly 2.2 million deaths in this nation alone. And because of how serious it was and how quickly it looked like it was spreading, we needed to really do all we could as citizens to help slow the spread. And we listened carefully to the health experts. We listened carefully to Governor Bashir. And uh, as time went on, one of our observations was, number one, the health experts were wrong in many of their projections. Number two, the application of the executive orders were really uh, not equally applied. For example, churches were treated in one way. Churches were told that they could not meet, uh, that it was dangerous to meet in church. And yet at the same time, the big box stores were wide open. When we saw that there was unequal application, when there was inconsistency, And then when we saw that the disease didn't pan out like uh, health experts were saying, that's when we really began to uh, push back in a number of ways. I actually testified in front of a legislative committee uh, back uh, earlier in the summer about the uh, targeting, if you will, the unfair treatment uh, towards churches. And uh, at one point, Clay, the governor ordered state police to take down license plate numbers of cars parked in church parking lots, those suspected of being inside church buildings and not uh, following his order for churches not to meet. Absolute gross violation of our First Amendment, freedom of religion. The governor had no business in doing that. When there's overreach, whether you're in a time of pandemic or whether it's normal times, uh, when there's overreach stepping into the realm of religious freedom, that's when the Commonwealth Policy Foundation will push back. 
and be an advocate for our First Amendment freedoms. Well, thank you for that. And I noticed it was our governor's very first instinct to shut the churches down. And possibly even before the 6th, when he declared the statewide emergency, his first thought was, we need to keep people out of church. And that was disturbing. But then the one thing that he definitely wanted never to close and never to have any less traffic was the abortion clinic. I thought, where are his principles? And there they are. He let them be very clearly known. Clay, if I could jump in, I I wrote a commentary on that, and uh, there was a great irony in that the governor was warning us against this very real disease, and we were supposed to protect ourselves from it. At the same time, he considered the abortion center in Louisville a uh, necessary uh, medical facility. He allowed them to remain open, but the purpose for their being there was to end a human life, and that was a terrible contradiction from his admonition to us to love our neighbor, to care for the least among us. You know, of course, the the, the elderly were most vulnerable. The, those who were uh, immune compromised were most vulnerable from COVID-19. But what about the least, the, the very least among us who have no protections in law or very few protections, especially under this governor? He had no regard for them. And that was a shame. And if I could add, Clay, to add insult to injury, the state legislature did pass a bill. It was called the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. That would have protected un, uh, born human life. Those tiny human beings that miraculously survive an abortion, it would have protected them in law. And the governor unfortunately vetoed that bill. And I do believe that the legislature, when they convene in January, will pick up that bill. That will be a priority bill for them to uh, to pass in the 2021 session. There's uh, a lot we could talk about within the Commonwealth that's been going on. I wanted to also just uh, look a little broader before we close. Uh, the United States has a very special structure in which we in the several states have our own governments, and then the federal government has strictly limited roles for the nation at large. It seems like the interconnectedness of the states is necessarily growing, even as we have greater division among our views of how the government and the citizens should relate with one another. Are there ways that we who care about these things, like you and I do, Richard, can reconvince citizens that the founders' vision for how the states and the federal government should interact was wise and was vital for the preservation of our liberty? Yeah, that's really, that's an important question. And, uh, I think one thing in this time of division, this time of hatred, I mean, there's violence in in some of our cities right now, Clay, where it's really being perpetrated by anarchists. Those who who don't appreciate or understand, or maybe they just outright hate our country, maybe there's a lot of different reasons for this happening. But uh, I think one thing that we need to realize, and and, and, and something that binds us together as Americans, are the First Amendment freedoms that we have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to assemble, freedom of the press, freedom to petition our government, the five freedoms, that binds us all together, regardless of our political party. But also the idea of uh, constitutional rights, that we are protected under the law, 
that we as individuals, each of us matter, each of us have dignity. The duty of the government is to protect our individual rights. That idea should go across the political spectrum. We need to make that case. And I think that that should resonate with the political right just as much as it does with the political left. Our problems in this country go much beyond the political sphere. I do believe that we're given a gift and the Constitution's worth preserving and that the political realm is an area to, to engage. But ultimately, our problems are spiritual in nature. And unless there's some kind of an awakening where people are reconnected to God through Jesus Christ, uh, I don't see much hope for us. And this is where the churches come in. This is where the churches need to speak loud and clear. Uh, about what we have, speak loud and clear about what human dignity is, speak loud and clear about what our purpose is as human beings. The church needs to find its voice, and we need an awakening. Uh, just like Kentucky had about 200 years ago, the Second Great Awakening began in Logan County, Kentucky, not far from where I'm recording this program. And that's my hope, that we will see awakening where people are reconnected to God through Jesus. Well, amen to that, and I trust that listeners will make the connection, as uh, you and I probably also make this connection, that it's no coincidence that those who first sought to shut down the churches are opposed to the outcome that you just described, and that should cause us some consternation and uh, awaken us to want to make that right. Well, I was encouraged uh, this past weekend, Franklin Graham led a group of uh, individuals from around the country, and uh, about 50,000 citizens went truly peacefully to the nation's capital and just prayed for about two and a half hours at various sites around the capital, just prayed, and that's powerful. That is, and they did it peacefully, Clay. They did it peacefully. They did it without any violence or rioting, and they were exercising their First Amendment freedoms there, and that was uh, that was powerful for them to come together from all across the country to seek the Lord and to seek His uh, protection and favor for our nation. Uh, that's humbling. I, I, I'm so glad to see Him leading that. So glad to see so many Christians from across the country participating in that in prayer really is the first step towards uh, renewal uh, and revitalization of this country where we seek God, who, by the way, our founding political document acknowledges the Creator, Clay. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. That's what the Declaration of Independence says. God is part of our political fabric, and it's so appropriate for Christians to seek God in public and to uh, beseech him to seek his mercy, to ask for his protection, uh, and to ask for his favor. So I believe that if our country is going to turn around and move in a better direction, a healthier direction, uh, then it will start with Christians uh, on their knees uh, in prayer seeking the Lord. And it's things like that which are so very obvious that we tend in our minds to reject so easily. But obviously, the only possible way that there can be true equality is that we are all created by the same creator who is equally above all of us and all of our rights but also all of our responsibilities and laws stem from that one creator so we have true equality because god's laws apply 
equally to all of us. Absolutely. That's a very, very good point. If I could add something else as well, it also implies that there's something above government. You know, in some countries, government is the ultimate authority. In communist nations, uh, China, the old Soviet Union, uh, there was no authority above that government. Uh, therefore, the rights came from the government. Uh, in this country, we acknowledge that our rights come from God, and uh, he's the one who endows us with those rights. Well, looking forward, as we close up here, Richard Nelson, uh, what are the key policy areas that you think will require the most attention and the most focus in the coming months or in 2021? I go back to the sanctity of life. One of our goals at the Commonwealth Policy Foundation is to work to restore the sanctity of human life. Um, that's of, of primary importance, and we will make the Born Alive Infant Protection Act a, a priority for us. Uh, religious freedom is a close second. Uh, we do see attacks on our religious freedom. If I could say, you know, we're recording this right before the election. This is not a policy uh, question, but we do have an election, which is a political question. And that's something we're encouraging people to get out and to vote. Uh, Christians, please, if you're not registered to vote, get registered. You can do it on the Secretary of State's website. It takes just a couple of minutes. We need to engage this election like never before. And, uh, you know, the policy issues uh, will only move in our direction and move in the right direction once we engage politically and get the right people elected to office. And that's something that we're encouraging, strongly encouraging people to get registered and then to vote and then to vote biblical values uh, this November. Well, thank you so much, Richard Nelson, Commonwealth Policy Foundation. I appreciate that you joined me today on Core Principles, and I wish you a blessed day. All right. Thank you, Clay. Good to be with you. God bless, and you have a great day as well. Now it's time for our special historical segment, featuring a practical example of how core principles are applied. On the 29th of September, 1941, the National Socialists in Germany began one of their most horrific crimes against humanity, known as the Babi Yar Massacre. The Germans had taken Kiev on the 19th of September, and squads of Schustoffel were carrying out Hitler's orders to exterminate every Jew there. Beginning on the 29th of September, nearly 34,000 Jewish men, women, and children were marched in groups to the Babi Yar Ravine, ordered to strip and murdered by machine gun fire. Their bodies piled into the ravine, and the Germans covered them over with dirt and rock. Later, as the Germans realized they were going to be defeated, the National Socialists attempted to hide the evidence of what they had done. They exhumed bodies and burned them to ashes. This horrific atrocity of the German leftists was portrayed in shocking detail in Dan Curtis's late 1980s miniseries, War and Remembrance. Today, in 2020, the U.S. Millennial Holocaust Knowledge and Awareness Survey showed shocking results. 63% of Americans between the age of 18 to 40 have no idea that the murder of 6 million Jews in the Holocaust even happened. Not coincidentally, similar numbers of persons in that age group also think that socialism is acceptable or even good. Their lack of understanding of such evil makes it possible for similar atrocities to happen again. We must uphold the truth and teach the truth. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. 
Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find her music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information and please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.